Amen. If you would take your copy of God's Word and open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Um, tonight, I want, to, uh, I want us to look at the sister passage from the, the text we were in this morning. This morning, we were in 1 Corinthians 15, talking about the resurrection of these bodies, the process of glorification. It's the final culmination of human history. It is, it is God's plan. And I use that word plan intentionally. Uh, it was no accident. Uh, the cross was no accident. Uh, that the cross was the plan of God. That nothing surprises God or takes Him off guard. And uh, tonight I want us to continue to look at this issue. Um, I, I've probably raised several questions in this, in this series. Um, and I'm hoping to maybe answer some of those tonight, particularly with this issue of, uh, um, of the rapture. I didn't deal a whole lot with the rapture this morning, but I want us to look at it tonight, the rapture. What about the rapture? And this is sort of a sister passage to 1 Corinthians 15. Let me, let me read this passage, and then we'll just kind of walk through it and pick it apart. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. First Thessalonians 4:13. "But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others, uh, as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Tonight, uh, I want to just walk through this. I have no creative outline tonight. I have no, no uh, creative catchphrases for the different points. I just want us to use the Scripture and let the Scripture lead us where it goes, Okay. So we start, and we start with seeing that there are those who have fallen asleep, and then based on 1 Corinthians 15, we also know that there are those who will never fall asleep. 1 Thessalonians here in chapter 4, verse 13, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep or are asleep. This, word, this is the word that Paul uses to describe those who have, who have died, who have passed away. Those who are believers, he uses the language of sleep as if they are just resting. They are just asleep for a time. But then if you'll turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where we were this morning, I want to show you this. And I want you to, in some way, just keep your finger over there or uh, place something there to, uh, to mark your place. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verses 50 and 51... Again, this is Paul writing, so it's going to sound very, very familiar, but this is a different letter to a different group of people. 
in, uh, in verse 50, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So there's this group of people, two groups of people, in fact, that Paul is, is uh, concerned about here. These who are alive, he wants them to not grieve in such a way that is hopeless for those who have already died, who are asleep. But he also wants them to keep in mind that they may be the ones who are alive, who never sleep when Jesus comes back. And so he's got both groups in mind, those who are already asleep and those who will never sleep. And he goes on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and in verse 14. He says, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So he's talking to those who are still alive, who may be the ones who are never to sleep. But he says to them, there's going to come a day when God will bring with him those who have already fallen asleep. It's a wonderful picture here. I want us to get it. This is the picture of the rapture. When he says here, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Let me ask you a question. Who is him? Jesus. See, that's the Sunday school answer. You should always get that right. When in doubt in church, just say Jesus. A lot of times it's right, okay? Yes, here it is Jesus. This is the resurrected Jesus. God will not send an angel. Jesus himself will come. That's good news. That we're not just some afterthought. That we're not some secondary mission. That there's going to come a day that at the command of God, God will send and Jesus will come. He will come again. This is his second coming. Those who have fallen asleep. Well, those are the ones we've already talked about. Those that have already died, who have been saved, but that they died and, and uh, they, their spirits are now with God. They will come back in their spirits with Jesus one day. They will come back to get those, of, those who have not fallen asleep. I began to think about who those are. Because you've got to think about this as this is going to be a real event. This is not just some idea out there or concept. This is, this is not allegory here. Here Paul is using very definite, very concrete terms in saying that one day God will, he will come back. He will send him and he will bring those who have already fallen asleep with him. So this is very concrete. So you, th- you start thinking, well, who is that? Who's going to be coming back? with Jesus to meet us in the air. Well, I began to think through Scripture. And immediately my mind goes to Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. I started thinking about all those that would be with Jesus in the air. Abel, Enoch. You said, wait a minute. Enoch never died. That's right, he didn't. So in some ways, Enoch, when he was out walking with God and God just took him so that he wouldn't experience death, in some ways, Enoch has already gone through what you and I, if we're the ones who will not sleep, he's already gone through what we will go through. He was changed in an instant. So Enoch is there. 
Noah is there. Abraham. Isaac. Jacob. Sarah. Moses. Rahab. Gideon. Barak. Samson. Jephthah. David. Samuel. Peter. James. John. Andrew. All of the other disciples. Mary Magdalene. Mary the mother of Jesus. Joseph. Mary. Martha. Lazarus, the Philippian jailer, along with all of his family, Paul, Silas, Timothy. We could go on and on and on. I had fun doing this. I had fun picturing this event one day, that one day there's going to be this command, this trumpet blast, the voice of an archangel, and we're going to look, and there will be Jesus, and behind Him will be all of these saints who have passed away coming back with Him. Not only that, you go outside of biblical history and you go into church history. And you think about men and women like Polycarp and Augustine and Wycliffe and Huss and Luther and Calvin and Spurgeon and Owen and Bunyan and William Carey and Jim Elliot and Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong and Adrian Rogers. And you could go on and on and on. And you go outside of church history and you go to those who are unknown, but that are known to you. Those that taught you the gospel. Those that, that labored and the faith was authentic in them, but they've already passed away. My Sunday school teacher growing up, Miss Billy, the lady who kept me in the nursery, was obvious to me and obvious to the church that she was a true believer, Miss Tarwater. There's going to come a day, and I want you to see it in those concrete terms. I don't want you to think about it in just this idea or this concept, but the people that you have known that were godly and knew Christ personally that have already passed from this world. There's going to come a day when Jesus will come in the air and He will bring with Him those who are already asleep. Isn't that good? That's a great picture. I mean, I don't know exactly how that's going to play out. But the Davbill Corporation is not going to be able to, to do a screen that's going to be able to capture the enormity of that event. That's going to be phenomenal picture. And I think it will happen in just an instant. But everything in me right now wants to say... Oh, God, slow it down. I mean, bring it now, but slow it as it happens. I want to experience it in slow motion. I want, I want all of my faculties to be able to take that in. Don't you? Mm. He goes on and he says, Then when Jesus comes, he'll bring, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, and we who are alive, if we are those who are still alive, you understand that one day... Jesus may come back, but you and I may have already gone. And we may be in that crowd coming back with Jesus. How would the vantage be from that point? But those who are still alive, we should all live as if we are in that group. We should wake up every day and say, Jesus, today, is today the day that we will look up and see you coming with all of the host of Christianity, the host of heaven coming with you is today the day. 
But we who are alive will not precede those who have fallen asleep. There's this this sense in which he wants to communicate to them that, that those who are still alive when Jesus comes, they have no advantage over those who have already passed on. It's not as if Jesus is going to come back and those who are still alive are going to be transferred into the presence of God with their glorified body. And then sometime later, those who had already passed on will then get their bodies. No. The Bible here says we will not precede them, but instead the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. Now, who's giving that command? Yeah, see, Jesus is not the answer here. God the Father's giving. See, I baited you into that. God the Father. We have no reason to think that it's anybody other than God the Father because of what we know from God the Father's character is that He is the one who issues decrees or commands. We know from the character of the Son that His character is to always do what the Father commands Him to do. So we have no reason to believe that this cry of command is anybody other than the voice of the Father Himself. That there's going to come a day when the Father will say, Jesus, go get them. And who knows what that voice will sound like. We only know the voice of God as that still, small voice. We only know the voice of God as, as that prompting, that leading. We know the voice of God as it has been recorded for us in the pages of Scripture, but we've never heard audibly the voice of the Father but somehow the Scripture leads us to believe here that we will in that moment. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel. We're not told exactly what the archangel will be saying. There's only one archangel in Scripture that is identified by name, and his name is Michael. We don't know if this will be Michael or not, but we know that, that somehow he will be voicing something when Jesus comes again. Maybe he's there heralding it. Maybe, maybe somehow he is, he is announcing the arrival of the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Maybe he leads the rest of the angels in a song of adoration. I don't know. The Bible's not specific there, but it says that he will himself descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And trumpets in the Old Testament were used for various reasons. They were used with the Jewish people to proclaim um, the Lord's presence and to summon his people to himself. Uh, we see this. Um, back in Exodus, go back to Exodus chapter 19, uh, Exodus 19, verses 16 through 19. This is in the process of Moses getting the, uh, the Ten Commandments from God on Mount Sinai. Verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. So that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. 
Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like smoke of a, of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the, tr- the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. <laughs> what an amazing thing it must, must have been that day to be part of the Israelites to witness this event. And quite another when the last trumpet will sound. The last trumpet will sound and Jesus himself will descend. He will use these three noises to wake his people from the dead and summon them to himself. The command of God, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet blast, he will come and those who are in the grave who know Him as their Lord and Savior, who are already in spirit with Him, their bodies will come out of the grave. Now, just think about that. (laughs) We believe that literally. Okay? We're not talking figuratively. We believe that literally. And there are those out there in the world that that would hear us say that and think... Y'all are crazy. Y'all need to quit watching so much Fox News. I mean, turn to CNN once in a while or something, you know. But that's what we believe. And one of these days that this cemetery out here, this cemetery out here across the road, that there will be those who will rise up out of those graves. The trumpet blasts. And the voice of the archangel sounds and the command from God the Father goes forward. The dead in Christ will rise first. I want you to notice that it's the dead in Christ that will rise. I don't know who all is over there in that cemetery. And I don't know their spiritual condition. The reality is that there's probably some in that cemetery... And I know this is getting personal here. The reality is there's probably some in that cemetery who never knew the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And there will be graves that will be unopened that day. As with every cemetery. I want you to let that blow over you and cause you to experience the chill of that. For those who die without Christ, there is finality there. The dead in Christ will rise first. Won't that be a sight? The Bible teaches that then they will be raised to the land of the living. They will will come out of the graves and there will be this instant where they are here. And then, immediately following that, all really in one process, we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them. I've always pictured it, I think, as they would come out of, out of those graves and be in the air with Jesus, and then those who are alive, then we would go and meet them in the air. But I think it's more they will come out of the graves, and then he will call us all up to meet him in the air at the same time. So that they have no advantage over us and we have no, no advantage over them it can, if we are those who are still left. 
We will receive these glorified bodies in an instant. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. The word caught up there means to grab or to seize suddenly. To snatch, to take away. We will will be brought up into that previous list. The Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and all those and and, uh, just... All of those, but then we will also be brought up to meet the Lord in the air. And while we know Him as our personal Lord and Savior, it will be the first time that we will ever see Him face to face. What a glorious thing. But the thing is, it's not a, it's not a glance and then it's over. It is a meeting to never part. We will be with the Lord forever. He goes on. In this particular passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18, the last verse here, he says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This ought to bring encouragement to us. This ought to spur us on. This ought to cause us to look to that day, to live differently in this day, knowing that this day could be that day. Turn back. I told you to keep your finger there. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 again. When he says, encourage one another with these words, here's two ways that I would encourage you. They're taken out of the um, last couple of verses in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 57 and 58. In verse 57 he says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the ways that we can encourage one another in this is that when we get together, that our brothers and sisters would see us thanking God for the victory that he has secured for us. And it's not just a token, well, I appreciate that, God. But it is a, God, you've given me the greatest gift that I could ever dream of and beyond what I dreamed of. You came to me. You have given me victory over death once and for all. Oh, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? It has no victory because those who die in Christ will be raised from the dead. But I would read that scripture as a child and hear, Oh, death, where is your sting? Uh, couldn't help but to think of, of a bee or a wasp, just the way my mind would work. And I would, I would in fact, I used to want to be, a, uh, outside of being Randy Travis and an athlete and all this, I also wanted to be a cartoonist. And I would draw these, these wasps, and I would, I would write on it, Oh, death, where is your sting? And it was a wasp without a stinger. You know, and I thought, well, that'd be a great T-shirt. Nobody ever picked it up. I don't know why, but uh, I guess because I didn't know anybody. But uh, or maybe maybe it's just not a good idea. But anyway, the picture here is when when he says, "Oh, death, where is your sting?" It's the picture of death leaving the sting in Christ. In the same way that a wasp leaves that stinger in you. The death stung him and left it behind. And when he was raised from the dead, 
there was no more stinger for death to sting us with. Oh, death, where's your sting? So I would encourage you to encourage one another in this. By when we gather together, let your brothers and sisters see you thanking God who has secured the victory through Jesus Christ. That's why we sing the songs that we sing. So that you can celebrate that. And the second way that I would encourage you in this is in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. There will be days when it feels like it's not worth it. (laughs) There will be days when it feels like every single one out there is against you. There will be days when you will be attacked and it will hurt and you will question, should I, should I keep going? And the writer here says, oh yeah, you keep going. You be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because it is worth it. Because there's coming a day when the sky will part. And Jesus will descend. And he will bring all those saints who have died and gone on with him. And he will call all of us who are still here to meet him in the air. And we will be with him forever. And there is nothing that can happen on this side of that that can make me want to give that up. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, thank you for securing for us victory. Lord, again, we come back to the fact that we did nothing to secure it. In fact, we're the ones who had put us in a position, in a posture of defeat. We wouldn't have been in the position that we found ourselves in were it not for our sin. But we also would not be in the position that we now find ourselves in as children of God, were it not for you leaving heaven the first time, Jesus, and taking on flesh, taking on the form of humanity, humbling yourself even to the point of death, even the death of the cross. We thank you that it didn't remain at the cross, but you were placed into the tomb, and that three days later that you were raised from the dead. Signifying that the Father was satisfied, that He was pleased with your sacrifice. That the wrath for the sins of humanity had been poured out on Him and you had taken all of them. And God, for that, we say thank you. God, we look forward to that day. But God, until that day, I pray that we would spur one another on. That we would always be thankful that we would remind each other of what it is that we have in Christ and that we would keep going, that we would be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And God, that we would in the end find that there is no sacrifice that we could make here that would be too much for what we will gain there. For I consider that these light and momentary afflictions are not worthy of comparing 
to what is ours in glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great night.